0: Pass intercepted by McKenzie Ellis from Toronto And Kennedy Leonard brings the ball up for Colorado. Looks to the near side for Huggins with pop from the three-point line. And this perfect in-rhythm shot for Lauren Huggins coming off the pass from Kennedy Leonard. by Colorado, here comes Kenny Leonard coming back on the counter-attack for the Colorado Buffaloes. Goes inside with a right-handed dribble off the glass and hits. Kenny Leonard, nice play to drive through traffic. Inbounds pass stolen by Brucka Thomas. She'll go off the glass for a layup as well. And the Colorado Buffaloes with a quick four-point swing. And they're back up 42-38. Live from the Blake Street Tavern, it's the BSN Buffs Podcast. I'm your host, Jake Shapiro, alongside Tyler Ziskin today. Brian Koningsberg, the editor of BSNBuffs.com, still thinks the Broncos are more important than the Buffs. Tyler, how wrong is he?
1: (laughs) Well, for me, he's very wrong. Uh, But uh, for the rest of Denver this week, that's probably not the case, and that's understandably so. But yeah, he's big time in us. He's still out in San Francisco pretending to work. (laughs)
0: Ryan uh, partying with the Super Bowl champs, I could only hope at this point. Well, we're out here at the Blake Street Tavern. We're having a good time of our own, and we're going to talk some buffs. We got the basketball team who. Had a tough weekend at Oregon this weekend, and uh, this upcoming week they have the Washington schools coming in. Signing day happened. Tyler has all the the on-the-bubble takes about the basketball team. We're going to have some fun as well. Thanks for tuning in, and uh, we hope that you don't tune out because your boy Ryan uh, is not on the show. So let's uh, jump right into this as Oregon defeated the Buffs on Thursday night in a game that was the Buffs really could have been in first place after had they won, and that seems so far away now, but they really did not come out to play Thursday night.
1: Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, they could have been in first place, definitely. To me, though, that was not really a realistic goal from the beginning. I mean, anytime you're playing the best team in the conference, and Oregon is the best team in the conference, I I don't think you can deny that at this point. I mean, they're absolutely destroying everybody. And, um, yeah, I mean, to me, the expectation of winning a road game against the best team in your conference, it, it, it shouldn't be there. Um, obviously, I didn't like how he played. You know, the game was over pretty early, and that's not exactly what you want to see. I mean, I thought they fought pretty hard in the second half, trying to close the gap down the stretch. But, I mean, really, the simple analysis here is that if you shoot 34% and 30% from three against the best team in your league, you're not going to win. I mean, there's really no other analysis necessary to figure out why we lost the game. We didn't shoot the ball well. They, 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 especially in the first half, they passed up a lot of quality looks, tried to take more difficult ones attacking the paint. Um, that's something that we can't do. I mean, we're a good three-point shooting team. We shoot the ball well um, when we're open, and they chose not to do it in that game. So that's really the main thing for me that I take away from that game.
0: Not that 14 turnovers is an absorbent amount of number uh, of turnovers, but, you know, you can't have 14 turnovers on the road and expect to win against the number one team in the conference. Uh, And as you said, and this is something on Twitter that you said that resonated with me, CU beat Oregon at home because CU played a flawless game.
1: Yeah, I mean, they played about as well as you could expect. I mean, Chris Boucher did not play well in that game for Oregon, which obviously he's a big important factor of what they do. I don't think he had a single block in the home game.
0: I believe he fouled out at the end as well. Yeah, he
1: fouled out of the game, and he had six blocks, obviously, in the road game. And, you know, this is just typical of college basketball. Teams play well at home, and we played, I mean, Xavier Talton had probably his best game of the year, one of, if not, against Oregon at home as well. And, you know, I mean, those role players tend to make big plays when they're at home on the the road sometimes it's a little more difficult and you know I thought honestly when we watched that game at home the whole time all I was thinking was man Oregon is really good like we shot the ball extremely well we won that game and it's going to be our best win of the season and that 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 win will be huge on our resume come March so to me um, I don't want to say we're fortunate to have beaten Oregon but that's a huge thing for our resume right now and no one's going to hold getting blown out at Oregon against us in March I mean they're they're destroying everybody right
0: now the Buffs beat Oregon 91 to 87 a few weeks ago and they lose to Oregon on Thursday night 76 to 56 they played Oregon State then on Saturday night and lost 60 to 56 and this was the game that was the more winnable game of the two on the road trip
1: yeah for sure um Obviously, Josh Scott going out hurts you a little bit, although I thought they really did a good job fighting through that and uh, cutting the gap in the second half. Um, you know, they had a chance down the stretch there. Uh, the turnover thing is, I mean, CU's going to turn the ball over a lot. That's not going to change. You know, to keep them with, I think Tad likes to keep it under 12, right? That's the number that he uses. Um, anything under 15 for me is really is a pretty good number that you can work with. Um, 24, you're not winning. You're just not winning road games with 24 turnovers. That's completely unacceptable. I mean, Dom with eight alone, that's pretty crazy to me. I know is coming off injury, but he was one of the two guys that didn't have a turnover in his limited minutes. He had 11 minutes. He's been playing kind of poorly, but when Talton and um, Collier have 13 turnovers, I think you kind of have to try something else at that point. Obviously, Gary Payton Jr. is, if not the best defensive player in the country, one of the top two or three. Um, and so overall,
0: guess, too, he's one of the better players in the country. Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, defensively, he's going to cause a lot of problems. I mean, he's super long for his size among the league leaders or the nation's leaders in steals. Um, so you can expect some turnovers against this team, but 24 is just completely unreasonable. That's something they got to get fixed because that was a very winnable game. Um, they didn't execute down the stretch. You, know, you can talk about the refs all you want, but... Causes to turn the ball over 24 times.
0: When you go plus 18 on the boards on the road and still lose a game, you know, yeah. something else is a big red flag, and that, of course, was the turnovers. But, you know, going back to some other things in this game, Josh Scott, limited to 16 minutes, came out at the end of the first half due to an ankle injury, did not return. And in total, Colorado's top three scorers in this game Josh Scott, George King, and uh, Josh Fortune combined for four points. Yeah. And it's very hard to score even 50 points, they got to 56, but it's hard to score 50 points if your top three scores aren't scoring more than five points. Yeah,
1: definitely. I mean, we had big games from Tory and Trey, which was good because they've been, um, especially Trey, has been struggling a little bit lately, so it's nice to see him actually get, I mean, he's so fun to watch when he's aggressive, but it does, you don't see it that much from him, so that, that was a nice um, shining moment, I guess you could say, from the game. To me, though, overall, I mean, obviously we didn't get any of the results that you wanted. You want to get a split on the road, that didn't happen. Overall, though, we're still in we're we're in plenty good shape um, in terms of a resume perspective. Honestly, I liked our defense on the trip. You can talk about giving up 76 to Oregon, but I looked it up. That's the lowest they've scored in a conference game since January 10th. Um, They had 76 against Utah yesterday as well, too, but to me, I mean, Oregon is blowing up. They shot 41 percent. Oregon State shot, I think, uh, 30, yeah, 35 percent, so those are numbers that you want to see, defense travels, and Stanford and Cal, we look good defensively as well. So that's four games in a row that they've looked pretty good defensively. And if that continues, the Buffs will be fine at the end of the year. I mean, they're not going to shoot 30% in most of their basketball games. It's not going to happen. So to me, if they can continue to play well defensively like that, they'll be, you know, come Pac-12 tournament time, they'll be just fine.
0: And Tad talked about it today uh, after Monday's practice about how the defense has improved. And you look specifically at that Cal game, and we're going to jump back to that because we just didn't do a podcast last week and that might have been the finest defensive game they've played all season against Cal. It was really noticeable, us there, uh, just how much pride they were taking in their defense, and that did carry on the road this weekend. Of course, it's a little bit harder to play on the road, but they only limit Oregon State to 60 points, and, you know, say what you will about Oregon State, but you're limiting t- a team to 60 points on the road, that, that's that's a pretty good half, and that, that's without your star center.
1: Yeah, exactly. I mean, to me, that's important. I was looking at Ken Palm earlier today, um, and so we're actually 38th in the country in, effect, in uh, effective defense now on Kenpom, adjusted defense. And donor, there
0: were so. times this season where this defense mm-hmm. was non-apparent.
1: Yeah, questionable, for sure. Yeah, I mean, to be 38th in the country, that's a tournament quality. I mean, that's that means no matter who you play, um, your defense is going to keep you in the game for the most part. I mean, obviously, if you don't shoot 30%. But the nice thing about the tournament is, is everybody's on the road. You know, you're not playing. You, no matter who you play, you're not playing anybody in their home building, so... Um, the score kind of evens out a little bit in that way. So to me, is defense is something that travels typically, so that's good for us in terms of tournament perspective. Um, if we can continue to – the defense has been getting better in my eyes, so if that keeps going – like I said, I'm not too worried about where we end up
0: March. I think one of the more concerning things about this team, and you you said you just kind of have to deal with it at this point, are the turnovers. And I think maybe the turnovers even worsened this weekend by the, I wouldn't say total loss to Tomasaki. Seeley. he didn't play against Oregon. He plays 11 minutes against Oregon State, but he was a non-factor in the Oregon State game. And he left practice about last Tuesday with a left ankle injury. And uh, you could tell that Without that depth and just having a third guard knock easily to bring up the ball, it left Josh Fortune struggling against mm-hmm. Oregon, and then it left Dominique Collier maybe perhaps tired against Oregon State.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's you kind of see the importance of having him on the roster for sure. Um, to me, Josh Fortune, man, he's struggling right now. Um, they got to get him off the ball a little bit more. He's trying to do too much with his dribbling, trying to do too much with his passing. He's got to get back to what he's good at, and that's being a jump shooter. Um, so I'd like to see you know him get a little bit a little bit more comfortable on the court in that regard. Um, I mean, obviously Josh's injury is a little bit of a concern going forward as well. Um, and Torrey Miller rolled his ankle in that game too, so it'd be interesting to see how healthy all those guys are come Wednesday. I mean, obviously you have Washington State at home, so maybe not super important that all those guys are fully ready to go. But the Washington game on Saturday is massive, so I think we got to get them a hundred back. 100
0: percent right days. if you could pick a time to have the injury bug in conference season it's probably right now mm-hmm. going into uh, Washington State at home uh, this is probably the most winnable game on Colorado schedule we'll talk about that in the third segment but some other some other things to notice uh, about this team George King continues to produce except in that Oregon State game and uh, you know it's kind of becoming to a point where what George King giveth he taketh away
1: yeah, I mean, the one thing, it's okay if he doesn't shoot the ball well for me, but um, only taking six shots it, is not something that I want him to see. I mean, he's hes the one guy on the team that you know can create for himself at any point on the floor, you, you, especially when we're struggling offensively and Josh is out of the game. George has got to be more assertive getting to the basket and getting open looks. Uh, he only had two turn, or uh, two rebounds as well and one assist, so he's, he's not doing enough on other uh, the, you know, other parts of the box score that you want to see, uh, especially with the big guy out. I mean, he's got to m- have a bigger impact on those type of moments.
0: And, and maybe this comes back to the defense improving, but you look at Gary Payton's stat line and, you know, he only has 17 points, only 17 points, but mm-hmm. you know what? He went off for a lot more last time Colorado played Oregon State, and you look at what some other guards have done against Colorado, whether it be Andrew Andrews or Ike Araibu, and Colorado played pretty well against Gary Payton second.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's, he's a guy that, um, he's not a great shooter, so that kind of helps you out in terms of how you have to defend him. Obviously, Andrew Andrews is capable of doing things in a lot of different ways. Um, Gary Payton, you just kind of have to pick your poison with him and try to keep him out on the perimeter because he's not a great shooter. Um, but to me, I mean, yeah, he was 5 for 13 in the game, so he had 17 points. That's not not exactly the most efficient ever, especially considering he had 7 steals. So you figure you know, at least a couple of those, he's gotten easy back, easy buckets in transition as well. So to me, the job they did on Gary Payton, um, pretty good overall. I mean, most of the time when you hold a team to 60 points on the road, you got to feel pretty good about your chances. It's really just comes down to you can't turn the ball over 24 times. That's 24 possessions, you don't get a shot off. It doesn't matter how well you shoot, honestly, in that scenario.
0: And I think Colorado will take Gary Payton's stat line as well as Oregon State's stat line next time they go on the road against UCLA and USC, whether it be from Julian Jacobs and uh, uh, Bryce Alford. If they can get that out of those two, hold them to about 17 points and hold those teams to about 60, I'd like their chances to not only split but to win that entire road trip. And Ryan's been saying this on the podcast since week one of Pac-12 season, is this team isn't not going to... Uh, sweep a road trip and you're looking at the schedule and what road trips are left and it's the only the only one is the Los Angeles trip and that would be so huge for them to kind of get back on pace I would say with the leaders of the Pac-12 and this is something I want to talk about with you is it more important for the bus right now to consider the Pac-12 standings or kind of where they are nationally?
1: I guess it depends on what's important to you, really. I mean, I know for me, I want to make the tournament. That's the goal to me. I don't care what place we come in in the Pac-12. I really don't. To me, it's not important. I, we were project, projected, what, eighth, ninth this year? the, start of the Seventh
0: year? or eighth, yeah. yeah.
1: One, you know, most people didn't have us making the tournament at all. And, and in the end, you know, obviously being relevant in the Pac-12 is, is nice, but I think that's going to happen regardless. Winning it was never really a consideration for me, and anything beyond that, you take your chance in the tournament and see what happens. So to me... Doing enough to make the tournament is what's important. I couldn't care less if we finish second, fifth, or even eighth in the Pac-12. If we get into the tournament, that's well, that's that's the goal for me.
0: For me, I, I just think that top four seed into Vegas is just so important and not only strengthening their tournament resume, but giving them the ability to make a deep run into Vegas and giving them more games because I feel as if they don't get a top four seed, they could be out on that Thursday.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's certainly possible, but in years past you've seen that the the, unless you make it to the finals, the, the committee doesn't really consider your tournament results all that heavily. So, um, like I said, to me, it, it, you know, it's all a matter of personal preference, and plenty of people will tell you that they want us to finish first in the Pac-12 over anything else. And I completely understand that. It's just not how I look through it. You know, it's not my lens. <laughs>
0: We're going to come right back. Uh, we're going to first take a commercial break. And on the other side, we're going to talk about the macro, uh, the tournament perspective, and where we fit in, where the Colorado Buffaloes fit into this tournament perspective as we enter the latter portion of the season. And now we're in February, 33 days away from Selection Sunday. So the Buffs really got to start cutting their chops for this tournament resume. And uh, we're going to talk about where they fit in on the other side of the break.
2: This is Justin Gold from Justin's. If you've had my nut butter or my peanut butter cups, then you know that I take my products and my customers very seriously. So when I needed my roof replaced, I wanted somebody who feels the same way about their customers and their products that I do. Luckily for me, I found exactly that when I went to Chip Bezzo from Chips Roofing, and he provided me with a service that I'll never forget. Not only did they build me a beautiful high wind roof with the best products available, but the quality price and service was exceptional. I was in contact with Chip the entire time, and him and his crew couldn't have been more professional. Chip's Roofing has my business for life. Chip's Roofing, Colorado's high wind roofing experts for 30 years. You can find us
0: online at chipsroofingllc.com. That's LLC.com. Or call us now at 720-938-ROOF. That's
2: 720-938-ROOF. Once again, 720-938-ROOF. Hi. I'm Erica Shenard and I've been helping Colorado homeowners buy and sell for 14 years. From the biggest names in Colorado to first-time buyers, I treat each and every one like an MVP. I've sold over 170 homes in the last 12 months, and I can help you sell your current one or buy your next one. Call me, Erica Shenard at 720-663-1003 or online at denvercohomes.com. Of course you want to be in better shape, and of course you want to change the way you eat, but it's easier said than done. Hi, I'm Adam Kinney, and like you, I tried a million different things to accomplish this before I found the solution. Now, I go to Ironclad Fitness off of Evans. The days of long, boring cardio sessions are over. My kettlebell training to Ironclad is fast, innovative, and it really works. At this rate, I'll never step on a treadmill again. Let Ironclad Fitness change your life like they're changing mine. Ironclad Fitness. Hey, Josh, what happened to Colorado Keg House? I was just there yesterday, Adam. It's the same great place with 72 Colorado craft beers on tap. Really? I heard they had up to 60
1: breweries in there. I figured they must have moved into a huge building or something. That means they have up to
2: 60 different breweries on tap, dude. Do you think they actually crammed 60 breweries in there?
1: Oh, so they still have 27 TVs? Yeah. And NFL Sunday Ticket? Yep. Cool. Still awesome. Colorado Keg House, Colorado's home for craft beer by the First Bank Center in Broomfield.
0: down here at the Blake Street Tavern talking with Tyler Ziskin, uh who's co-hosting with me tonight about the Colorado Buffaloes. Of course this is the BSN Buff podcast. We we'll won't be talking about anything else. And uh before we get to On the Bubble, let's talk about how great Blake Street Tavern is. Uh we're sitting here right now, we got good vibes, good views, uh good few food, all of the above and uh we're right here next to Coors Field, one of my favorite places in Denver on Blake and Park and uh Really, there's no better time to be had. Even on a Monday night, we're hanging out. Everyone's having a good time. And uh, dang, I tried the wings tonight. Ryan talks about the wings literally every time we're down here. And I finally gave them a try. And they are so good. Absolutely delicious. Recommend them. They got uh, homestyle white cheddar, what what are those? Uh, Cheese curds curds now. And I tried them last time (laughs) we were down here. And they are delicious. I'll tell you, as a Midwest guy, those are. Those are pretty authentic cheese curds, and uh, I recommend them. And, uh, Anyways, point is, come down here. You'll have a good time. A lot of Buffs fans come down here. Probably a good time to be had uh, next road trip uh, if you come down here for the USC or U- UCLA games, and uh, you'll enjoy it. I guarantee it.
1: Yeah, it's fun, man. Uh, yesterday, it was obviously a little bit busier than today. We had like 2,000 Broncos fans in here for the Super Bowl. It was awesome. We'll put up some videos later um, on Twitter if you follow Blake Street. It's uh, it was a pretty fun experience for sure. Had a few broken windows in the celebration. Uh, SWAT team rolled in here for a little bit to make sure nothing got too crazy. But yeah, down the block, a couple people were burning some couches. And there's people, they, you know, pretty much all the roads closed in downtown, because people were running around in the streets and stuff. So it was pretty cool. I mean, I'm not a Broncos fan, but I was rooting for them. And- it was a fun experience for sure. I mean, it's great to see, especially all my buddies, you know, who've been diehard Broncos fans just going absolutely nuts. It's, it was fun.
0: Nothing like being in the center of Town USA. Yeah. And that that was you last night. And I saw the video Blake Street Tavern posted last night. of just everyone going absolute crazy uh, when the game was decided. And, you know, as someone whose team has won a championship recently, uh, sorry, Tyler, <laughs> uh, I can tell you it's it's an amazing experience. And if the Buffs were – ever to win a tournament game or something like that i think this is the place to be if you're not at the actual game
1: yeah man it's fun i mean obviously basketball season this time of year a couple of the game times are a little difficult so it's usually a good crowd like 20 to 30 for the away games and a bit the bigger games are a little bit more and then once uh march madness hits in the back 12 tournament and all that stuff it, it gets pretty fun so definitely come down and check it out it's fun definitely buff friendly
0: speaking of march madness let's get into that with the buffs uh Where the Buffs sit right now, they're not a ranked team. They're, I think, fifth in the Pac-12 conference. Pac-12 conference as Tad Boyle mentioned today to Neil Wolk of CUBuffs.com second best conference in terms of RPI. Mm -hmm. How much is that really bolstering the Buffs' resume right now? The fact that they're playing in just such a fantastic conference oh
1: for sure i mean it's huge um i mean you see all the bracketology guys writing articles about what the pac-12 has done this year um it's still the deepest team in america i mean different deepest conference in america sorry i mean you talk about i mean i think the 11th ranked team in the rpi right now is um i think it's it's ucla or arizona State. i think it's arizona state and they're a 76th in the rpi that's just insane I mean most other conferences have so many bottom feeders. I mean you look at the bottom of the big ten right now, there's five or 6 gimmies on everybody's schedule. I mean you look at Indiana's nine and two in conference play and they've played one team with an RPI lower than sixty five. Like that's insane.
0: That's every night for the boss.
1: Yeah, exactly. So I mean there's just no off nights which makes it more difficult. I mean, it's definitely bolstering the resume for sure. I mean they've been the Pac twelve has been number two in RPI all year. Um, that's not gonna change. Um, at least not in my eyes. I don't see I see no reason that it would over the course of the year um the back 12 is brutal man there's no other way to say it
0: so the buffs lose these two games this weekend and how much does that affect where they sit in terms of March Madness and RPI I know on Twitter uh some fans were really upset over these two straight losses that you know at least you want the split on the road but in terms of the numbers and where they sit for March does that really affect them or how much does that affect them
1: uh, it affects them a little bit, especially the Oregon State game, because that's a, you know that was a winnable game that um, you know we had a chance to win a few of those for sure. So, uh, you know that's a game that's winnable. The Oregon game really has no impact at all. But I mean, simply put, um, before the road trip, the Buffs were twenty-two in the RPI. They sit 26 today. Um, you know, not a major impact whatsoever. Ken Palm, the same thing. We started at fifty-first. We're sitting at fifty-sixth right now. Um, so. I mean, I was talking a little bit about this before we got on the air with you. Cal lost this road trip, got swept on this road trip. Um, USC got swept on this road trip. We are not the only team that got swept in Oregon, nor will we be throughout the year. so
0: Utah just People got swept to... on this road trip, too. Yeah,
1: exactly. yeah, well, yeah. Utah as well. So it's you know it's a, probably the toughest road trip I would say right now. Um, people want to say make Oregon State not that good because they're not that fun to watch, and I understand that. But they're amazing at home. I mean, they win almost all their home games they have for years, even when they weren't great. So,
0: small gym, quality guard, hard to beat in college basketball. Yeah,
1: for sure. I mean, they, you know, I understand the frustration, especially because you know, we didn't play great. Twenty-four turnovers is hard to watch, but from a resume perspective, not a huge impact. I mean, we win our home games; it won't matter at all.
0: What are some things, and you say they need to win home games, but what do they need to accomplish or keep doing to get them to the level where you feel comfortable with them saying they're a tournament team? Or are you already there where, you know, I feel like they're a tournament team?
1: No, I do feel like they're a tournament team. They still have some things to prove. I mean, they can't turn off the gas for sure. But, um, you know, beating Washington State first is huge because that guarantees we have zero um, 100 RPI losses in the entire year. Uh, looking at the bubble right now, I've got 28 teams in the database that I use that tracks like guys that are on the bubble, mm-hmm. at least at some point. Some have moved up, some have moved off the list, but um, there are only 11 right now that don't have a loss in the RPI 100, um, and obviously a few of them still have games to go. If we beat Washington State, we guarantee ourselves that we don't have a 100-plus uh, RPI loss through the entire season. Um, so that's important, and obviously losing to Washington State is at home is really damaging to your resume. That's that would really hurt our RPI. So that's the big one that you have to avoid. Um, Washington already beat us this year. That's a team that's ranked below us in the RPI as well. They're ahead of us in conference as well. So that's that's a game you must take advantage of as well. Um, we got four home games left. If you win them all, we're 10-8 in the league and we're comfortably in the field as a single-digit seed probably. Um, the road games, you get one of them, again, we're going to be comfortably in the field, uh, assuming that we don't lose you know, a game we shouldn't along the way. So to me, um, three conference wins is going to get us in most likely. Four, we're a lock. That's how I see it right now.
0: And they have, what, I believe, five left?
1: Games? No, yeah, they have seven. Seven, lives. seven, yeah. Seven, yeah, seven yeah. left. So they got, I mean, and they have. They have two they have home stands, Washington. two road trips in Utah. at Utah. Right. they got Washington, Washington State, and Arizona State all at home. Three games you should win so you take care of that and to me we don't have a whole lot to worry about um it's it will be not a very high seed in that scenario most likely but um if you get another one along the way uh you know obviously at UCLA or at Oregon or Arizona at home are the ones that you're going to look at as the most likely there um we're in 100% there's i mean i would have zero stress whatsoever it'll all be a matter of where we get seeded at that point for me
0: so you're at the point where you don't even look back and be like only if the Buffs had won that game. You're, you're at the point Probably. where you're looking forward and you, you say, okay, well, you know, maybe they could add this game, but they're fine, they can still they can still be okay. No, I
1: mean, the one, the one that hurts us is Utah because that's the biggest um, hurt for us in terms of the RPI. They don't like home losses, and they shouldn't really. And honestly, I think, I think we're better than Utah. I think we gave that game away and if we had that win, we'd still be seven and four in conference tied for second um, or I think I guess we'd technically be third right because someone's seven and three UCLA, uh, USC USC seven and three I I'm think. not
0: I'm not sure exactly yeah, this weekend sure screw me. three
1: yeah <laughs> so um, but still you'd be sitting much more comfortably we would there'd be no stress that Utah game is definitely the one that hurts the most but if they go and we, beat
0: Utah, does that even itself oh, out? For
1: sure absolutely. Yeah, I mean, like I said, if they get any road win the rest of the way, they're going to make the tournament unless they lose to a team they shouldn't have. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's, people, people want to say that, you know, this team's not a tournament team, but they're not watching teams around the country. They don't understand the resumes that other teams have right now around the country. There's a lot of mediocre basketball teams out there right now.
0: And, mean, and this is something Will Whalen always talks about, how, you know, the only the truly elite teams go in and consistently win, win road games. Yeah. And if the buffs win 3 or 4 Pac-12 road games, that yeah, means I mean, they're a very good team.
1: I mean, I'm looking am looking at my spreadsheet right now. The so here are the teams with more road wins than us on the resume. Monmouth, St. Joseph's, Gonzaga, George Washington. And that's it. So, no team in a Power 5 conference. Monmouth has played I mean, they're, first of all, they're 10-4 and 4 on the road, which is insane. But to have played 14 road games is incredible in itself. Right didn't,
0: Wasn't their entire non-conference schedule on the road? Pretty
1: much, yeah. I think they had two home games or something like, ridiculous like that, just totally crazy. And then St. Joseph's, is, they're 8-0 on the road, but they don't have an RPI top 50 win on their schedule. So they've played a super easy schedule. Um, and So, I mean, like we, not a single power team on the bubble has more road wins than we do. So people need to understand, like, You don't win games on the road it's just part of college basketball life um i mean you look at so like i said there's 28 teams that i have sitting in this database right now um we're in the the only five teams have more top 100 wins than us and no only one team has more um top 200 wins than us and that's monmouth again so i mean they're we're comfortably in right now i mean there's really no other way that i can say it that makes sense um, they have no Maybe blemishes.
0: look around the country and compare the buffs to someone else.
1: Yeah, so I mean, you talk about a, a team like Florida, for example, um, that most people have pretty comfortably in at this point. You know, talk about a team that's usually pretty elite. We have a better, we have better metrics than them in every single scenario. So let me just directly compare them on my spreadsheet here to make it a little bit easier to uh, compare for you guys. So in the top twenty-five, we're one and four; they're one and five. Top 50, we're three and six. They're two and six. Top 100, we're both six and seven. Top 200, we're 12 and seven. They're 12 and eight. Um, they have a bad loss, 100 plus RPI loss. We have zero, and we're four and four on the road, and they're two on six. So, I mean, to me, we're a better—you know—the resume's is better. No matter how you slice it, most teams don't have, most people don't have Florida on the bubble. So, if that gives you an idea of where we are, where we sit currently.
0: Is I mean, Florida ranked right teams.
1: now? No, they're not ranked, but. I mean, they're a team that most people have pretty comfortably in. They're, they're, I mean, Kentucky and Texas A&M and then Florida in the SEC. So, I mean, you put them in the SEC, Colorado's probably the third best team in the conference over there. So, you know, to me, there's there's a little too much panic right now. If they lose a home game, especially this week, you can start to be really worried. Um, But until that happens, I mean, we're comfortably in. As a single-digit seed right now, nobody would have us as a double-digit seed.
0: So if you put them around seven or eight,
1: yeah, I mean, so uh, they, the two major guys updated their bracket today. Um, Lenardi has this as a nine, um, and Jerry pa- uh, Palm has this as a six. The six is high for me for sure. Um, the nine is a lot more reasonable. Um, I could see us being an eight or a nine. Even if you told me that we were at, like one of the first couple of tens right now, I wouldn't be super shocked with you. Um, but yeah, I mean, right now, there it's. It, there's, if we lose to Washington, there'll be start to be some concern. Um, but if we win all of our home games the rest of the way, like I continue to say, no stress. And that's what Chad Boyle is
0: saying too, yep. essentially. And uh, you know, we've been saying it all year on this podcast too. If the Buffs take care of business at home and they win one or two or three road games, they'll be fine. And for the most part, they've done that. And they just got to keep doing what they've done. And I think you agree with me. They're going to be absolutely fine as they enter selection Sunday in March.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, if, if kind of throughout the whole season, we've won the games we shouldn't. We've lost the games we shouldn't for the most part. Um, and if we continue to do that the rest of the way, we're going to be in the tournament. No questions asked.
0: That'll wrap up the on the bubble segment, the normal Tyler Ziskin's segment, but he will, uh, he will stay with us on the podcast as we, uh, talk about signing day. We're going to preview the, uh, upcoming weekend against the Washington schools a little bit more in depthly than what we have so far. And, uh, we might have a little bit fun, a little bit of fun. I don't know if we're going to have a, enough time for that. Uh, plus, Cleveland isn't that fun. Uh, there's, there's always time to be for around. fun. Uh, there always is time for fun. <laughs> uh, but we're going to be right back after this commercial break. Uh, thanks for listening. We'll see you on the other side. Why go to the Clock Tower Grill? Because of the burgers? Sure. How about the 15
2: big screen TVs and the 100-inch projection screen? Okay. How about the fact that it's conveniently located at the Lincoln Light Rail Station? Yep. We could do this all day. The bottom line is that the Clock Tower Grill has unique food and drink specials every single day and offers something for everyone all the time. Head down to the Lincoln Light Rail Station and let's have some fun at the Clock Tower Grill. (laughs) Rain, sleet, or snow. 24 hours a day. Residential or commercial. You name it, A Team does it. A Team Garage Doors will meet or beat any estimate and offer same day repairs. A Team Garage Doors has a five star rating and is a home advisor or elite service provider. Call A Team Garage Doors at 720 556 8016. That's A Team Garage Doors 720 556 8016. for the A When is the last time you went to the Rock Restaurant and Bar on Smoky Hill Road? With 69-cent wings on Mondays, trivia on Tuesdays, and $2 domestics during happy hour and weekends, the Rock Restaurant and Bar is the only choice when I'm in South Aurora. They're open 9 a.m. to 2 a.m. every day, making them a great place for a big breakfast, tasty lunch, or a nice dinner. The Rock is off of Smoky Hill Road, just a few blocks west of E-470. Find them online at therockrest.com. That's therockrest.com. $3 beer specials, $4 shot specials, $5 appetizer specials, and two-for-one 10-inch pizzas. All of that happens every Sunday at Ernie's Bar & Pizza. Not only does Ernie's have the best deals, but they were just voted number one New York-style pizza in Denver by the Westward. Why go anywhere else? Make Ernie's Bar & Pizza your home for football on Sundays. Ernie's Bar & Pizza, 44th and Federal in Old North Denver, where the Pisons live. If you're tired of the same old sports bar experience, it's time to check out the Sunset Grill. They have the NFL Sunday ticket, NHL Center Ice, NBA TV, and yes, even the Pac-12 Network. But they also have a gorgeous view from their spacious deck. They have dry ribs, wings, and muscles to go with their ice-cold beer. They have $4 Bud and Bud Light pitchers on Sundays, and their happy hour is from 11 a.m. to 7 p.m. every day. So next time you're looking for a place to watch the game, do it a little different and go to the Sunset Grill off Holly and County Line in Centennial. Sunset Grill
0: welcome back to the bsn buffs podcast live from the blake street tavern i am Jake shapiro alongside tyler ziskin and we both have this weird problem i'm five four and tyler's like six eight or something and neither of us can get ski boots that fit our size because our feet are, well, mine are small and his are big. I was going to say both of us are so big, but that's not (laughs) true, and I wish it was, but it's not. Anyways, I know the perfect place where we can get uh, ski boots, and I didn't know why I didn't think about this earlier, but I'm just thinking about this now. Boot Mechanics. Uh, Boot Mechanics in Golden. uh, You can call their number 303-916-6498 or go to their website, bootmechanics.com. Professional skier Jeremy Johnson will set us up he has the custom footbed molding thing that gets uh, your, your foot to the perfect size, your boot, and it gets it all comfy and snug, and our feet won't hurt. Or you can buy new boots uh, like we both need because we're so miss-sized into our current situation, and uh, he'll set us up. And uh, I, I know he'll set up uh, all the BSN Buffs listeners, so if you want to stop by Boot Mechanics and Golden, tell him that uh, Jake and Tyler, not Ryan, sent you from the BSN Buffs podcast. We're going to get into a little bit of signing day right now. Um, signing day was past we- the last Wednesday, and uh, we were tweeting out all our articles for the year about all 18 recruits that committed to CU, and really, they did really well on signing day. They got all 18 guys that had verbals the day before to CU.
1: Yeah, I mean, it was definitely a big day for us. Um... <laughs> You know, it's kind of a little hectic for the first time on signing day. You know, the last couple of years make you realize how you know, how average the class has been because there wasn't really anything super exciting coming in on signing day, you know, other than Patrick Carr coming in late last year, which obviously has worked out well for us. I think he's going to be a stud. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's the first time in a while we really got some amazing top-end talent. I mean, you really have to love where we got the guys from, um, what other programs wanted these guys. So, I mean, I think this is a big step in the right direction for us.
0: Bo Bichorette and uh, what's his first name? Something, what's his, Winfrey? Joan Winfrey. Winfrey. Both co- coming in last second uh, committing to CU and both four-star guys, both big-name mm-hmm. guys recruited by pretty much everywhere in the country. Uh, well, Winfrey a little bit of a different situation, but we'll get into that. Bicharet really could have gone wherever he wanted and you're seeing CU beating out some of these top schools. We talked about it with Craig Watts. That didn't end up happening. But it does happen with Bo Bichorette, and it does happen with some of the other guys they recruited, whether that be Julian Misi, and Huntley. There were some big schools sniffing around on these guys.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, Bichorette is huge for the program just in, in, in terms of perspective from uh, you know, teams around the country. It's a Rivals 250 commit, the first one we've had in a long time. I think four years was the last time we had a Rivals 250
0: So none guy. under Coach Mack.
1: Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, You know, he's a guy who's committed to Stanford. Oregon thought they were going to get him for a little while, too, but they wanted him at linebacker, so he kind of backed off of that. You know, he was really looking heavily into Cal, Arizona State. Like, packed all programs that recruit, you know, they get four stars every single year. So for us to come out on top, you know, Alabama wanted him to come out for a visit after signing day. So did Nebraska. Shunned all that stuff to come hang out in Colorado. I know for a fact that his parents loved it here, and that was a big impact on his decision. Um, He had a great time here as well. Um, He's a big... You know, I, I, we're not really 100% sure where he's going to end up yet. He's going to get his first crack at running back. Very physical. I mean, I think he's an instant upgrade over Christian Powell last year in the running back core. Um,
0: and if Michael Adkins is playing, uh, we yeah. saw how good Michael Adkins was the first two yeah, or definitely. three weeks before Phil, he got hurt.
1: Philip Unzi, Patrick Carr. I mean, we got some studs at running back. And right
0: even now. Donovan Lee factors in.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, but for me, I mean, Christian Powell is a guy who they use him situationally, but Bishrat is faster than him right off the bat. Um, and he's a lot more physical as a runner, in my eyes. So, to me, you instantly upgrade that RB core. Um, you got to feel good about that going forward, especially you know between Carr and at you got two young guys. Um, you can really feed off those guys coming into the future. Uh, for me, Jawan um, is an important piece because we need more wide receivers. Simple as that. Um, he, he's four-star on rivals. Um, you see on film that I'm not 100% sure he's going to be a, Big time blazer, but he uh, is a really good route runner. Gets open really quickly and finds holes in the zone. That's kind of what he specializes in.
0: And we've seen uh, this Colorado offense uh, really do well with guys that maybe aren't the fastest, but mm-hmm. can run routes and are very efficient in their foot movement. Yeah,
1: he, he does remind me a little bit of Nelson Spruce. I don't think he has quite the hands of Nelson, but a similar type of wide receiver. He's not going to be a blazing guy, beat you over the top type of guy, but... Someone who's gonna, you know, he's smart where he where he ends up on the field, especially in zone coverage, and finds that holes in the defense. Uh, he'll, he'll make some plays for us on third down. I know the coaching staff is looking to him to be the number one guy. Um, they think Shea Fields is better as a number two. Um, he can be more dangerous over there. So that's that's the goal for them. I mean, you talk about some other guys in the class. The one that I love is Pookie Maka. Uh, he's undersized right now. He needs to get a little bit bigger. Um, but he, the only reason he wasn't more heavily recruited in the Pac-12 is because he was not a qualifier early on in the process. Um, got, some, got his ACT scores up along the way. And, uh, you know, Jim Levitt's in love with this guy. Um, he's been on him heavily throughout throughout the summer and throughout the fall. So that really helped us with him to get him to come to Colorado. Um, I think he has a chance to be our best edge rusher in quite some time um, in the future.
0: A three-star uh, linebacker right now out yeah. of Utah.
1: Mm-hmm. Exactly. So Drew Lewis is the one guy I think that's going to make the biggest impact right now. He's a he played the same college as Juwan Winfrey, Coffeeville College in Kansas, Coffeyville um, Community College, and uh, he is violent man. I love his film. Uh, he only played in I think four or five games this year because of injury, but averaged twelve and a half tackles throughout that time. Um, very violent hitter, loves to punish people in the backfield. Um, I think he has a chance to, re- to start for us right away. Um, but overall, from you know from overall class perspective, there's a lot of athletes. Um, Ronnie Blackman and uh, Anthony Jul-Mese. Um, We don't know exactly where they're going to end up on the field yet, but they're by far, you know, the fastest guys in the class in my eyes, uh, most athletic, shiftyest. Uh, they're going to make an impact for us on special teams. We finally have a punt returner we can rely on in either one of those two guys. I think Blackman's going to probably have the edge there, though. Maybe um, Jewel Missy will be more of a kick returner. Um, but Johnny Huntley, big wide receiver threat, something that we don't have right now, another tall body. I mean, you saw that. That's a common theme among all the wide receivers we have in this class. A lot of, a lot of rangy athletes, um, big bodies guys who we can use in the red zone. Um, obviously the one question mark that I have right now is the offensive line. No, nobody that's going to help us right away, which is not unusual. Um, probably gray shirt a couple of those guys, but we've got to start getting some linemen that other teams around the country want. I think that's the next step for this program is we got to start building those trenches on the offensive side.
0: And uh, another guy that you haven't mentioned yet, but you were – big on on Twitter on Wednesday was Karan Bottom. I, I think I'm pronouncing his name right but yeah. the the recruit coming from Louisiana uh, maybe a little bit under the radar because he was hurt his senior year mm-hmm. but he was the second team all Louisiana player uh, his junior year.
1: Yeah, I mean I think he's a guy that if healthy this year is probably a four star and has offers from most of the SEC. He still had three SEC offers as is but he's, he's the fastest guy in this class and I guarantee he's going to walk onto this team as one of the five fastest people on the team. Blazing speed, um, it's just a question mark of whether or not he comes back fully healthy. You know, the ACL tear isn't as big a deal these days as it used to be, but you still want to make sure that he's the same guy that you saw in film before you get too crazy about him. Um, but I do think he's gonna has a chance to make a big impact here. And getting guys out of Louisiana is huge for this program because they they just ha- they breed football down there, and that's a big state to have an impact on recruiting in my eyes.
0: And maybe another real positive and something that's kind of. Uh been a theme of this recruiting class is there's a lot of speed just across the board and you can see that's definitely something CU's targeting.
1: Yeah definitely I mean it's you play in the Pac-12 there's a lot of speed out there I mean you see defense was much improved last year but if there was one weakness it was that at at key positions we weren't as fast as as we needed to be that's got to change in the Pac-12 I mean you got to have elite speed And uh, I think those type of guys want to play in the Pac-12 because it's one of the best conferences in the country, and uh, there's you know a high-paced environment. Um, Some of those guys, you know, that aren't 250 pounds coming out of high school, they don't want to play in the SEC. It's a totally different football, you know. Uh, They fit more into that Pac-12 breed. So you got to find those type of guys down south that fit more into the Pac-12 style of football than the SEC for sure.
0: And uh, another guy we just haven't talked about, coming from kind of the south, uh, Davis Webb from Texas, and. You saw Darren Cheverini hype him up as the West Texas gunslinger. And you're hearing a lot of big things about him to the point where it has Buff Nation really, really excited. I'm personally just going to hold off until I see him in practice just because I, I, I need to see him first. It's not anything that I've heard that makes me want to discount him because it sounds like it's all good. And... Reading uh, the quotes about him from his old coach Cliff uh, Kingsbury and everything about him, it just sounds like this guy is going to be really legit.
1: Yeah, I mean he's got fantastic touch, and I really love how quickly he gets the ball out. Uh, that's huge for a Pac-12 offense. I mean, it's exactly what we want to do in our system. You know, Seffo at times you see struggled on those easy throws, out routes, that type of stuff. Davis Webb is pristine at that. Like that's exa- that's what he's built for. Um, he's got a quick release. He's a big, bo- big body. He's not as heavy as Cepho, but tall, lanky guy. Um, he's not going to get out and do a whole lot of running for you, but that's okay in this offense as well. Um, I mean, to me, he's pretty accurate overall. Um, he'll make, he'll make some tough throws. Um, he's got an NFL arm. I mean, that's 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 the scouting report on him. So I mean, it'll be interesting to see. I think at the at worst case, it's protection for us if Cepho isn't back healthy, which is huge. I mean, anytime you can have two or three quarterbacks that you feel really confident in uh, throwing out there on the field and having a chance to win, that's awesome. I mean, that's a program changer for us. So we only have them for one year. Um, they didn't bring them here to back to back anybody up. So I think that is what your expectation can be, especially with rumors running around that Sefo's not is not going to be healthy for the start of the year at this point. I mean, it's, Liz Frank is a serious injury. I, mean, I know Max stressed that in his recruiting uh, press conference as well. So... I think the fact that they don't have to rush him back is almost as big of a factor as anything else.
0: And uh, an interesting thing as we enter spring ball here, and obviously Davis Webb won't be here for spring ball. He'll be joining the team in the summer. But is how Cheverini's offense will look. Uh, you know, he's the co-offensive coordinator now. You know he's going to have his fingers on some things. And uh, I wonder... What the recruits say about his new offense, whether it's going to be more speed, whether they're going to go more kind of west coast, I'm not sure yet. But it's really interesting to see the direction of this program and if it's changing or not and their philosophy as a whole uh, because it did change last year when they brought Jim Lovett in.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think um, the the Wingren will still probably have the reins for the most part um, and Chevrolet will work more with the wide receivers. I I do think they'll be smarter um, with some of their formations, though try to get the guys who are creative in space, uh, you know, the ball in space and things like that. Some things that I think we struggled with at times last year. So I think that's where his biggest impact will be. Um, I kind of, they go back to what they did two years ago and their defense continues to improve. There's a very good chance this team will impress some people this year. So I think it's kind of a turning point for the program. Um, in my eyes, Chivarini is a beast on the recruiting trail. I mean, you see what he does on Twitter. Um, you know, all these guys are really inter- into what he's doing um, and he's connecting with the fans, which I think is important, too, because they want to be able to feel like they know the staff is out there recruiting as hard as they can, and they really like to see what he's been able to do. Um, but, yeah, I mean, overall, the recruiting class is this is the best recruiting class Mac has signed. Um, it's the best recruiting class we've had since 2012 under Embry. Um, of course, that class has completely fallen apart with attrition and you know kids not getting in because of grades and things like that. So, um, to me, it's really the best class since uh, probably 2000, what was the Daryl Scott, 2008? Uh, it was a Daryl Scott class, um, and people want to say that that class was a bust too, but that's not true at all. I mean, you go back and look at that class. There's a lot of guys who contributed to this program. Um, you know, obviously Daryl Scott's the one that people remember the most, but there's a lot of other guys who are really helpful for, for you know, getting us into in a better position than we are currently right now. So, um, to me you got to get back to that standard of recruiting, um, and this is another step in the right direction, which is what, the only thing you can ask for from Mac, just continue to make progress.
0: Outside of CU, where does this class kind of rank uh, among the Pac-12 and nationally?
1: Well, I mean, it's it's the, so it's the smallest class of any Power 5 team outside of Kansas, so you have to remember that as well. Um, so, I, I mean, obviously most of the other teams brought in guy, more guys than we did, which is an important factor. Um, but so to see, in the team recruiting ratings on rivals, you're last. Um, in the average star ranking, we're 11th ahead of Washington State. Um, but we're in average star rating, we're ahead of 16 Power Conference teams around the country. So obviously, the Pac 12 is recruiting pretty high. Um, so from that perspective, that's the best in comparison. We've been in quite a while. But when you only My sign seven, you know, Davis Webb doesn't count in terms of rivals. So when you only sign 17 guys, you know, the the overall basis, the ranking's not going to be that high, but I think anybody who took a look at this class would say this is the most top-end talent we've had in a recruiting class in quite some time.
0: Going back to basketball now, I think we've covered recruiting pretty well, and uh, obviously we'll have a lot more about football in the coming weeks as spring ball starts. And you know going into the fall and all that as we transition back into football here in the next little while but first we've got the end of the basketball season and we have the Washington schools coming into Boulder this weekend first on Thursday night at 8 o'clock and then Saturday afternoon at 12 and I always find that interesting when the Buffs yes they have two nights sleep before the game but they don't really have a full two days off they have a day and then they're back on the court as soon as they wake up that Saturday. I always kind of wonder how that affects college players because besides tournament play, they're not really used to playing, you know, back-to-backs like that.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's definitely an interesting dynamic. But in the Pac-12, it does it does happen all the time. I actually find it interesting that um, I think it was Utah, Oregon, somebody that played yesterday has the first game of the week next week as well. Wow. Yeah, so it's kinda interesting how that works out schedule wise. I and mean, the sometimes. Buffs have had that a
0: few times where they've had uh-huh. the Sunday night late game then yeah, the and then the Wednesday, Wednesday. Or, right. you know, early night game.
1: Yeah so it's kind of interesting how that works out, but throughout the course of the year, it kind of evens out and how that works, plus, I mean, you know, they're college kids, man, they, they can get, go out there and play two games in three days, they'll be just fine. I
0: don't know if they're getting out there at, at noon, though, that's a problem for me, being a college <laughs> kid, is uh, getting up at noon on a Saturday, I want to be sleeping then, but uh, you have those two schools coming in, Colorado obviously lost to Washington, and was probably the, their worst performance of the year, besides at Cal, and they beat Washington State in Pullman, and Washington's been a pretty solid school in Pac-12 play. They're seven and four right now, fifteen and eight. Washington State's the worst team in the Pac-12. They should sweep this weekend, and you know we talked about it in the on the bubble segment. Just for them to take care of business this weekend is, is a big step forward.
1: Absolutely, I mean that puts you right back in a big time position. You'll be eight and five with five games to go. I mean, sitting at eight and five, we're pretty much guaranteed to be. At worst, fourth in the conference in the standings. Um, so you start looking at that buy, you know, that you talked about earlier as being so important. Um, the Washington State one, obviously, is, you cannot lose that under any circumstances. Washington is pretty much right behind it. Losing at home to Washington would be the worst loss we've had this year, no doubt about it. Um, they are tough, though, man. I mean, they're fun to watch. It's, I mean, we'll obviously get, we'll break down each game individually a little bit here, but yeah, I mean, it's, it'll, it'll be a battle. They're, they're a difficult matchup.
0: So with Washington State coming in first, they star with uh, Hawkinson and Arebu, and both of those players, pretty solid players for being on a nine and one and ten team. Uh, you know, they're they're a legitimate, real big time Power Six conference players, Power Five conference players. Yeah,
1: definitely. I mean, Hawkinson is a guy. Uh, watching him play, it's kind of hard to figure out exactly how he's so good statistically, but um, you know, they don't have a whole lot of weapons on that team, so he does get a lot of touches. Uh, to me, though. Assuming Josh got is healthy, that's that's a guy that you, that's obviously n- able to neutralize Hawkinson. Um, they both can play outside a little bit. They, you know, Hawkinson likes to move guys out of the paint and make them uncomfortable on the perimeter a little bit. And, uh, and just from listening
0: fine. to Josh's media scrum today, I'm sorry to cut you off, Tyler, but it, it just it doesn't seem like he's uberly confident in his ability to play Thursday night. It just it didn't seem like it. Kind of seemed like you know I'm going to try, but I'm not so sure about it. And that leaves. The question of, you know, and I think they'll be fine without Josh Scott in this game. But all of a sudden now, you're probably going to play Kenneth Guzanich a little bit of minutes, and or you're going to play three wings for a, a majority of the the time, and and you're kind of looking at it. And Hawkinson is going to have a pretty good matchup either against Tory Miller or Wes Gordon. And uh, you know that's still a tough matchup for an opposing player, but still, you know, it's a lot different than playing Josh Scott.
1: No, yeah, definitely. I think the, I think the biggest impact of him being out would be is that they have two huge guys. So it's you know they, they he hurt us in the first half. The other big man that they got, I can't remember Longris or whatever. No, no, no. no. Uh, the big white dude who had a huge first half on the road the other week. Um, uh, Connor Clifford. Yeah, Connor, Connor Clifford, Clifford. Clifford. Exactly. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. Thank you. Um, so he, you know, the, w- one of those guys is going to have a small body on him. So we're going to have to be able to figure out a way to neutralize that um, and probably going to go small on the offensive end and make those guys uncomfortable guarding the perimeter. So I think you'll see a lot of threes from us most likely. Uh, but either way, I mean, even without Josh, it's not a game that's we can't lose. There's there's no excuses for it. I don't care if Josh is gone or not. So uh, to me, that's the one you got to have. Iker Egbu is a good three-point shooter, but outside of those two, you really don't have anybody that's really – gonna stress you out so to me and there's no
0: way clifford should have 18 points again yeah yeah Yeah. i mean
1: you would like to not think so (laughs) so (laughs) yeah um we'll see but uh yeah i mean to me um we, you get that one out of the way, like I said, you avoid that bad loss on the resume, and then you kind of exhale a little bit, and then go to work against the Washington team that's ahead of us in conference play.
0: And that's the big one. They played Washington, and, and they lost 95-83, but it was not as close as even the 12-point gap in the, the final. The Buffs were really never in that one, and... Uh they got outscored by I, I think 14 or something like that in the first half and it was it, they had a chance to come back in the second half but they never cut it to like below uh 10 points or something like that yeah it, it was never really that close in the second half in that game Dominique Collier had his probably the best game of the season George King was pretty solid Josh Scott was pretty solid but on the other side you have Andrew Andrews who's probably going to be a good candidate for Pac-12 player of the year, drop 33 on the Buffs.
1: Yeah, I mean, he's a guy that's uh, a difficult matchup for anybody, really, but especially a difficult matchup for us. I just really love them in transition. They are so athletic. They're so long. They're so young, man. They just finished the ball. DeJunte Murray is the most underrated player in the Pac-12 for sure and probably in the country. The fact that he's still not being named as a first-round pick on most NBA draft sites is mind-blowing to me. That kid is a stud. One of my friends the other day compared him to Alec Burks, and I love that comparison. Um, Very similar body styles. Obviously, Juneteh Murray is pretty skinny right now. um, But very similar games, lethal in the paint, um, lethal in transition. He is going to be a stud if he gains some weight. Um, And it will be interesting to see if he comes back next year because right now he's a little bit under the radar. But to me, there's no way there are 30 better NBA draft prospects in the country than Juneteh Murray right the
0: freshman Murray averaging 15.36 boards and four assists a game with two steals and those are some legit numbers for a freshman I mean really any player but for a freshman yes And, and you look at some of the things he does similarly to Alec Burks for sure that comp is is doable there but uh For whatever reason, I've ended up watching a lot of Washington games. I think they're on late, and I'm always up late. Uh, But you're right. They're fun to watch. They get out and transition. They run. They score a lot of points.
1: Yeah, I mean, they try to get the ball into the basket within 12 seconds of the shot clock. They're not trying to waste any time. I I will say them doing that in Colorado is probably not great for their stamina. So I think that's an advantage for us as well. I mean, well, it'll be interesting to see if they start to tire out in the second half. And they only played eight
0: guys against the Buffs <laughs> right. last game.
1: Yeah. Um, I mean, the guy we haven't talked about yet is Marcus Chris, and Josh Scott will be important for that as well because he's very athletic. And if we have to play him with a smaller guy, we're going to struggle with that as well. He had um,
0: 17, and it was like he was basically what Clifford did uh, in the Washington State game. He was eight or nine from the field.
1: Yeah. I mean, yeah, exactly. So if we if we have another big guy that's not capable of stopping him. With, could be in some trouble for that game for sure. So, But, I mean, the nice thing about home is that it cures all evils, right? And for the most part, we shoot very well here. So, um, you know, it's a game that we're going to be favored in for sure, and it's a game that we need to have. But Washington is very tough. I mean, I th- they obviously, with starting four freshmen, had a few bumps in the road early on in their non-conference schedule. That So people aren't really respecting them and I think, the way that they should right now. They have been very impressive throughout the Pac-12 conference play.
0: Colorado looking to get to eight and five this weekend. They're six and five right now in the Pac-12, and uh, it's going to be a big weekend for the Buffs to just keep proving themselves and proving to themselves that they're a legit team. Because I think there's starting to be some question marks internally of how good are we. You know, after you lose two games in a row, I think that those come naturally, and uh, I think it's proving time for the Buffs behind their senior leader Josh Scott, who might not even be on the floor. And you look at a guy like Xavier Talton, the way he stepped up recently. I, I have confidence in this Buff team. <laughs> Even without Josh Scott to have a pretty good weekend uh, with the leadership they have, I, I, I think they're strong.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, like I said, you, you want to split, but there's no panic for me. I mean, there are a lot of teams that are going to lose to Oregon and Oregon State on a road trip. So, you know, pretty much everybody at the top of the conference right now has done so that's played there so far. So, um, to me, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens um, this week. But right now I feel pretty good about our chances to – self-correct and uh, finish the season strong enough to get into the tournament
0: he is tyler ziskin you can follow him on twitter at t zisk buff i am jake shapiro you can follow me on twitter at shapalicious you can follow the podcast and the website at bsndenver.com or on twitter at bsn even on facebook please follow us on facebook we beg of you we beg of you it's like pathetic how little facebook likes we have just go over and shoot a like you never even have to click just boost our stats uh that's that's all we need uh, and uh, thanks for listening we, we appreciate it as always Ryan will be back next week unless you, know, you guys liked it so much without him you know we can start uh, a little coup d'etat and me and Zisk will do the podcast every week uh, but I doubt that's happening because uh, Ryan loves to get down here to, to Blake Street Tavern and so do I and that's why we do the podcast down here uh, as well as we love seeing our buddy Tyler Ziskin so thanks Tyler for joining us and we'll see you next week on the BSN Buffs podcast And uh, as we always say at the end of the podcast, shabinga.